Brookswell Intersections podcast episode 11. I'm Cody Cisco, and I'm here with my fabulous co-hosts. Some of you are watching us live and so now you're seeing the voice, you're seeing the face behind the voice for the first time. Uh, this is Dan Lopez. Hello. And Rochelle Youssef. Hi. And we're going to talk about books today, what we've been reading, some events coming up, all the good stuff in the Los Angeles literary landscape. Woohoo. Yeah. What, um, Dan, you said you had something that you went to recently. Tell me about that. I did. I went to see uh, Chris Terry um, present his brand new book, Black Card. Uh, if you don't know Chris Terry, he's been around for a little bit. Um, I happen to know him from my days back in New York. Um, and full disclosure, he published with Catapult, which is the sister press of Counterpoint, where I work. Um, but... I went to see him because I know him, not because I work for the press. Um, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic book. Uh, I also like speed read it this weekend. It's about a guy who, much like Chris, is, has an African American father and a white mother, and has struggled his whole life. He's also very light skinned. Has struggled his whole life, kind of with his racial identity. And the conceit is that he has this black card that his friend Lucius gives him, and then early on in the book he does something. Um, and loses the black card. And then the whole rest of the book is kind of him trying to get it back. Mm. Um, and of course, as you can probably imagine, there's a lot of like, well, why would you even need a black card? You know, there's a lot of those sort right. of questions that come up. Um, but the book is fantastic. You should definitely read the book. Uh, but the event was really fun too. He was at um, SO1 um, here in Los Angeles, which is a, it was the first time I got the opportunity to go to the store. And it was a packed crowd. I especially liked how the owner, when he was introducing Chris, um, mentioned that Chris had a bigger crowd that night than Obama did the first no. time he did that he went there. <laughs> now, I think the caveat there is that Obama launched one of his early books there before he was famous. So it was like Obama brought five people, Chris had at least 30 or more. So, you know, that was really fun. Um, That's still a nice little tagline, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I would put that on, like, my yeah. website, That's you know, right. everything. Bigger than Obama. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was a really fantastic event. The book was really fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great bookstore. It's in Lemert Park. And, well, those of you who are alive, you should know that they're having a uh, book fair this weekend. I believe it's Saturday, like 10 to 5. And so that'll be fantastic. Those of you listening to this later, you missed it. So just mark your calendars for next year. <laughs> that's right. I actually uh, moderated a panel there a few years ago with Gary Phillips and Attica Locke. Yeah. About the mystery genre. And it was it's a great event to go to. Um and they've been doing it for like 13, I think, 13 years now. Yeah. So it's really it's really great. Attica Locke has a new book coming out soon, yeah? She does. It's the second in her, I think, heaven. Well, the first one was... Um, it's all in Texas, Bluebird, right? Bluebird, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then this is the second one. I read the first one and loved it, so I, I'm looking forward to the second yeah, one. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that. I think yeah. on the podcast, you, yeah, it was one yeah. of the like big L.A. writer like books you wanted to... Yeah, her. yeah, yeah. She's great, and she deserves it. And so is Gary Phillips. He's also been around for a long time. And does a lot of, yeah. of stuff in LA. I saw him uh, when they launched their anthology, The Obama Inheritance, which was right. all wacky yeah. noir and like almost sci-fi uh, stories. That was like basically like resistance to Trump. Um, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. all it was all really funny stuff. Like there were clones of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in one of the <laughs> stories. It was, it was a lot of fun. They were down at the last bookstore. Yeah, yeah. And I think he still teaches, or he has taught at um, Antioch, Antioch yeah. for their MFA yeah, yeah. I'm program. Not, yeah, I'm not sure if he still does it, but he used to, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people, you know, worked with him there mm -hmm. and, like, have all these positive things to say. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, what what have you been reading lately, Rachel? Rochelle? Rochelle. <laughs> um, actually, I have not been doing a lot of reading. I find You get I'm, a pass. I get a pass, yeah. I actually find that it's hard for me in between books, like, to pick up a book, whereas once I start reading something, totally, like, I'm into it, I'm, I'm totally there. It's just hard in between. But Cody and I, as well as our friend Sakaya, have been hard at work at a Lambda Lit Festival event which is happening September 26th at the Armory Center for Arts, or the Armory Center for Arts. Um, and we have a great lineup. We have five readers. Um, let me pull up their names right now. Yeah, mostly poets. Mostly poets, yeah. Queer writers of color mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doing poetry. Um, okay, so we have Ruben Heislett, Roxana Preciado, B.A. Williams, Catherine Chen, and Evan Kleeklamp. And then following the reading, we're going to do a discussion with uh, Zoshi Bermejo from Women Who Submit, as well as Eugene Owens um, of the L.A. Public Library. Um, basically a discussion on intentional intersectionality. Um, and we're going to have a reception beforehand, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And we've still got a lot of work to do, but we've also, I think we've kind of nailed it. It's going to be a great event. <laughs> yeah. Famous last word. <laughs> right? <laughs> On it. camera, nailed it. No, it's going to be great. I mean, you heard those names. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should also say where we are. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because it looks yes. like we're in front of a blank wall, but this is actually really cool. We're in the Octavia Butler Lab in the Central Library of the Los Angeles Public Library System underground. Um, and from where I'm sitting, I can see a 3D printer. There's all sorts of like advanced sewing equipment and like tons of stuff for crafts. So it's basically a maker lab in the library that anyone who's a library patron can use. And it's amazing. So we're in a studio. We've got these, we've got a setup. We've got, we're like a real thing. We're real fancy today. Yeah. 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 That little girl over there is loving the 3D printer with her sparkly (laughs) backpack. It's amazing. (laughs) We should all be that girl. You can't see her, but we should all be that girl. I'm thinking like, what would I make with a 3D printer? I, I'm gonna think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe some bookends. Ooh. Can you do that? Oh yeah. yeah. They could be shaped like a little wave and book. Mm-hmm. It could be like our logo in there 3D. You go. There you go. As long as there's a part that goes under the books to counterbalance. I don't know how heavy be, it would be. Yeah. Doesn't need to be heavy. You okay. just need physics. I, um, we just need physics. Mm-hmm. I like physics. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. Um, what about you, Cody? What have you been reading? So, a couple things. Um, to follow up on a conversation we had maybe a couple months ago, I did read Ted Chang's Exhalation. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? Yes. Okay. So, I loved the story about raising digital pets, mm-hmm. which are sentient AI, mm-hmm. and, because at every turn, it, it was like, it was something I didn't expect. Um, that was, for me, the one that stood out. You know, he's an interesting author in that... His stories are so centered on a concept, yeah, and then they are sort of elaborated from there. But that concept was is what really drives it. So if you're interested and curious about that concept, it's really cool. If it's something that doesn't immediately gel for you, you're kind of like, okay, yeah. next. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing there were a few next nexts for you in there. There were a couple nexts, but there were also a lot of really good, enjoyable yeah. stories. So I mean, I you know, I just watched a garbage TV sci-fi show last night, which I won't even <laughs> say what the title is, but um, after that, I, I, you know, I really appreciate very good kind of hard right. sci-fi uh, stories. So he's, you know, he's great. Um, and then I also read, it's a propos because we're in the Octavia lab, Parable of the Talents, 
which is the sequel to Parable of the Sower, which I was talking about with Rochelle at the Little Lit Fair. And that is a dark book. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a dark book. Um, you know, it follows the first one in terms of progressing the story, but it takes a turn because it, she set it up in the first book to say, like, this is a woman who has a vision for a better way that humanity could live and a future among the stars. And so you're set up to think, okay, this is going to go somewhere. And it's just a smackdown from the beginning on the second <laughs> book. And it's, you know, it's a lot of the themes that she deals with in the rest of her work around slavery and perseverance and survival. Um, but it is also dark in that it, it imagines a world where, and in America in particular, where there is a resurgent um, religious fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. There is a fascist leader who engages like the worst of the right and persecuting people who don't follow um, the, the sanctioned religion. So it Sounds just, oddly <laughs> familiar, maybe? Yeah, and she wrote it at the end of the 90s, yeah. right? So it's like, ah. Uh, yeah, I, I came away with it a little bit um, disturbed. Yeah. And it, it also highlights, you know, she had like maybe four books that she wanted to write in the rest of the series that she never did. Mm -hmm. And that is like, that's super sad when an author just can't finish right. their work. And yeah. of course, I guess we should talk about the fact that transitioning a little bit here, people follow. Um, <laughs> we should talk about the fact that Toni Morrison passed away. Oh, yes. Yes. That was very big, sad news that just happened recently. Yeah. There was a, a collection of authors who met at Skylight, including yes. Linnell George and a bunch of other authors. And I think Gary Phillips. I think Gary was there. Yeah. And um, Natasha Dion was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't get to go. I had just had a tooth pulled out of my head, so it was <laughs> not on my list of things to go to that, but I, I wish I could have. Yeah, no, it was very sad. And a lot of people did really nice like write-ups and stuff about the role Toni Morrison has played in their lives. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like the silver lining in these things is always that there's a resurgence in the author's work, uh, interest, I should say, in the author's work, particularly for someone like Toni Morrison that – uh, her press went and had to print something like 250,000 copies of her back oh, backlist. Awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, because it was just everyone wanted to like buy copies and read the books again. Mm -hmm. um, so in a way, that that's one of those like it's very direct. Like the legacy lives on through the work. Um, right. and it was kind of nice to see that moment play out in real life. And you right. guys, you guys remember Sonora Williams who came on? Yeah. Um, I think two episodes ago, I saw something she tweeted just after. Um, the news broke, and she said, you know what, if, if you've never picked up a Toni Morrison book, now's a great time. If it's now's not a great time, it will be a good time for you at some point. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing. But basically she was like, this is a legacy that will live on forever, so yeah. it's there for you when you're ready for it. Right. Which I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting take. Yeah, yeah. There are some people whose works just kind of are always relevant or are always necessary, mm -hmm. and she's definitely one of them. And yeah. so is Octavia Butler. Yeah, and yeah. I like the idea that we as readers get to say, you know, like this thing that we've inherited, which was the great white canon of literature, is not anymore. And yeah. we get to look back at all of the great works that have been written and that are now being written and celebrate those. Right, right. That's part of the project that we're engaged mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Um, oh, and I read, sorry, I'm jumping around. <laughs> I read <clears throat> a middle grade book, which I had read, I think, when I was, like, very, very young. Yeah. Um, Edward Eager. 
It's like about kids who find magic in like surprising places. And that was very comforting. I will, I haven't read that, but I will second the notion for comforting children's literature. Um, As I think we've talked about in the past, like I have a current obsession where I just want to read like queer YA. Like that's all I want to read right now. Mm -hmm. And I've extended it to like graphic novels. Okay. Um, And there was a couple that I recently plowed through. Uh, One, there's this series called Fence by C.S. Pascat. that's amazing. It's about this like all boy fencing school and they're all like in relationships with each other and like there's nothing's made of it. It's just like, yeah, this is just they're the just, world. Yeah. yeah. This is it. And it's all about like this one guy wants to be the best fencer and he's like defeated by this other guy and then like that guy's like, you know, half brothers at the school too. It's like it gets very complicated, but it's amazing. It's so much fun. Um, and another one I read was called Bloom by Kevin Panetta um, about this kid Ari who works at his dad's bakery and just doesn't want to. He wants to like go be a musician, but the dad's like, you need someone to replace you before you can do that. So he meets this other guy um, who's like really into baking. And then of course it's like a love affair. And like, it's just, it's so sweet, yeah. so touching. And that kind of stuff, especially nowadays, I feel like that's all I want to read. I just want, yep. Yep. and I think, I think the industry or the world is doing that because romance is having a huge spike. It's like mm-hmm. other than the audiobooks, it's like the biggest thing happening in publishing right now. So I think a lot of people are tuned into that sort of escapist. Yeah. yeah. I have a friend who works at the um, Creating Conversations bookstore in Redondo Beach who just had a bookstore romance day, um, so, like, mm-hmm. for those yeah, same yeah. kinds of reasons. But um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. YA has always been one of the first, like, sort of industries within, genres within publishing to push the boundaries. Yes. And which is part of the reason why I love it. I mean, they've been publishing things that, and talking about topics that, took like the general fiction literary fiction a while to kind of catch up on or at least to make mainstream mm-hmm. um so i'm very happy to hear that <laughs> <laughs> it's just great i mean there's you know it started with red white and royal blue which literally everyone seems to be reading right now right, yeah. i remember um, you mentioned that yeah and I, I really want to check it out it's just so fun it's just so fun um in fact the other day i saw like an announcement for a new acquisition that some press bought that it's like it was it was like i think it was Attica Locke meets Red, White, and Royal Blue. Like, that's how they pitched it. (laughs) I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. So I think, like, it's just so much fun. You know, you just really get wrapped up in the worlds. Yeah, and I actually, uh, a couple months ago, read Adam Silvera's History is All You Left Me, which I really Mm. liked and want to read some of his other stuff as well. Um, Yeah. So here we are in the library just getting so jazzed about all the stuff we're going to read next. Yes. (laughs) We can can pick it up on the way out. (laughs) That's right. That is a good idea. That's the nice thing about the library, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's it for this segment. I'm so glad you guys came. Of course. This is fun space, and I look forward to talking next time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Thank Cody. Thank you, Cody. All right. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
She holds a fifth degree black belt in Toshin Do Ninjutsu and has traveled the USA teaching seminars on the ninja arts, weapons, and women's self protection. Find her online at toryeldridge.com and on Twitter at Tori Eldridge. That's T O R I E L D R I D G E. I met up with Tori at the Los Angeles Public Library in downtown LA to talk about her forthcoming book. So this is the interview for the Bookswell podcast. I'm Cody Sisko, and I'm here with Tori Eldridge, and we're going to talk about books and about inspiration and the writing life. Terrific. Tori, thanks so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So you have a book coming out. It's a novel. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I want to talk about it. Excellent. It's The Ninja Daughter, and I would say it's an LA, contemporary L.A. noir. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Total L.A. story, gritty L.A. story, yeah. Um, so tell me about the inspiration for it. Did you start with character? Did you start with plot? Like, how did you come up with this idea? Well, I got to tell you, a lot of this is drawn from my own life. Okay. So um, The Ninja Daughter is about a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja in Los Angeles with Joy Luck Club family issues. Mm -hmm. And I am half... <laughs> Chinese Hawaiian and I'm half Norwegian and I hold a fifth degree black belt in Toshindo Ninjutsu. I've lived ah. in Los Angeles for 35 years and trust me I've had Joy Luck Club issues. So, okay. you know, more than that, no it's not me. Okay, so but taking your real life a step farther, uh, Lily, the protagonist in your book, mm -hmm. decides that what she wants to do with her, with her skills, with her life, is to, is to save women from dangerous situations and to help them recover um, from trauma because she's been through that herself. Exactly. Uh, Lily went through a real tragic thing where when she was first year college student, her younger sister was raped and murdered. Yeah. On the very night that Lily lost her virginity, I might add, and that can really mess you up. Yeah. You know, um, Lot of lot of issues and like a compounded trauma. Oh, oh my goodness. And there was, you know, there's this sense of letting down your, your sister and not being there for her, this this undeserved guilt. Yeah. And Lily had already been a lifelong um, martial arts practitioner. She started with Wushu, which is a Chinese mm -hmm. martial art. Until she noticed this, you know, Japanese sensei in a park tossing people around like confetti, and she was <laughs> like, I got to be in on that. But as a Chinese, you know, with a Hong Kong mom training with a adult Japanese man in a park, you know, I don't know. There's so many things that are kind of iffy on that for a 12-year-old girl. She didn't yeah, tell anybody. Yeah. So she did all that in, in you know, secret. Did you have your own experience where you kind of discovered martial arts and, and like what was your introduction to that that whole world which which in the book it comes through I mean I, I knew nothing about um, either of those traditions but having read it I feel like I was immersed in that kind of world for a while yeah when I was uh, younger my big Thing was dance. Okay. You know, so I wanted to dance on Broadway, and and I did. So, <laughs> yay! <laughs> uh, and and at that time, I had I had always thought about the martial arts, but dance is so physically taxing that you really can't do two of those things. Sure. Yeah. So when my eldest son was five years old, I enrolled him in karate, and I started watching, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can do this, and so I did, and I became absolutely obsessed. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, I just took to it like crazy. So my first black belt was in Tongsudo Karate. And I had overlapped that with ninjutsu because one just wasn't enough. Mm. And then I got my first black belt in that. And then I, I was teaching in both. And I dropped that one. And I just went crazy with the, with the ninjutsu mm -hmm. and um, didn't stop. You know, and just doing it up through a fifth degree black belt. And it was just so incredible. It's such an all-encompassing art. Unarmed weapons, uh, archaic weapons, modern weapons. Yeah. Like anything that we have right here in front of yeah. us can be used as a weapon. What I appreciated about, um, there were moments in the book where Lily was entering a situation with sort of limited weapons. Yes. You know, like she had, to, she had to do something, but she had to take stock of what was around her, what could she could possibly use. And I feel like that... That sense of having to adapt to your surroundings was really interesting. Oh, huge. Uh, adaptation and flexibility, it's key. It's key to being ninja. Mm -hmm. And a modern day ninja is somebody, I mean, you know, think about it. I, one of my big goals with this was blasting through the stereotype of yeah. ninja, yeah. right? So you're not going to see that whole fantasy uh, thing. She's she's a Los Angeles gal, you yeah. know? She doesn't, she doesn't own a car, she drives a bike, she takes metro. It's literally gritty she's, because she's riding her bike everywhere yeah, and like walking yeah. through the mountains. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know? So so, I mean, she's got a, you know, a karambit that she likes, this particular knife. But aside from that, she does not carry weapons. You're not yeah. going to see her drawing a katana mm -hmm. in the middle of downtown L.A. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen. Yeah. 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 And there's, well, I, want, I do want to get into kind of the antagonistic forces in the book. But mm. um, b before we get there, can we talk about family for a bit? Oh, I'd so love to talk about in family. The, it's in the title. Um, she's not just a ninja, she's a daughter. And so a lot of the book re revolves around her relationship with her parents, mm -hmm. in particular her, her ability to be honest with them and to share who she really is with them. Can mm -hmm. you talk about why, why did why'd you make that such a central uh, part of the book? Oh, my goodness. Uh, part of it is family is central to me as a person, but also as a reader. I love to read thrillers, suspense, anything that really takes me deep down inside of a character. And mm -hmm. what takes you deep down inside of a character is relationships. Yeah. So that's what interests me. Uh, the relationships people have, the culture. I love, I love it when people draw me into a new culture. So um, this dynamic of having a father from North Dakota a North Dakota Norwegian former farmer yeah. who, who meets this exotic woman and takes on her culture. Yeah. And this dealing with that, this yeah. is a huge thing. And then you throw in a Japanese sensei. Yeah. And then you've got a lot of cultures yeah. clashing right it's, inside her. It seems like we've got a little bit of noise, but okay, it's better now. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like Lily has a very close um, relationship with her father. They mm -hmm. get along. Very that's not the case with her mother and um i was i wondered about that throughout the book you know and and part of it could be like i'm missing a mother daughter dynamic <laughs> <laughs> having not lived confusing. through that <laughs> um but but there is a sort of um development where lily becomes more aware of potentially her own mother's journey and a little more um, sympathetic mm -hmm. to it. Whereas in the beginning, she's not, you know, she's, she kind of writes her off. Yeah, yeah. Lily is, she's 25. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting age. 
I have two sons. They're 30 and 27. So okay. I, I've lived through this age, not you know personally, and watched them go through it. And it's a, it's a very interesting age to come into your own as an adult mm-hmm. and also negotiating that relationship with your parents now as an adult. And so it's, you know, add to this the, the, the complexity of the secrecy, the family mm-hmm. trauma, and mm-hmm. the way everybody is dealing with this grief and tragedy in their own way, even though it happened many years ago. Yeah. Um, and then all, all sorts of other ple- pressures. It, there's yeah. all of these underlying things going on that I think is really... It's, um, it's unique to Lily and utterly relatable to everyone. Yeah. Because no matter how our relationships are, even if, oh, yeah, my relationship's fine, you know, we, we've always been terrific, mm-hmm. there are complexities. There, yeah. are, there are nuances and depths in there. And, and it's important. And I, I like books that investigate that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, I mean, they, well, I guess I shouldn't say the end, should I? I got the no, feeling this is that the there first was book more. In a series. <laughs> yeah, I got the feeling there was more to this story. Yeah, yeah. I, in <laughs> fact, I'm finishing up the second book right now. Oh, fantastic! And I've got the third one uh, mapped out. Great. So, yeah. Yay. Do they they all take place in LA? Uh, the second one does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will I will keep to myself my guesses where that third one might take her. Okay. <laughs> um, but it is, it is interesting how you use kind of the broad canvas of LA in your story. I mean, Lily is in um, Arcadia. She's in the, the Santa Monica Mountains. She's down sort of south of downtown for a lot of it. And there's a, a fight in a parking garage downtown, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like all of these places show up. So that was really fun as oh, someone who, li- who likes and has invested in uh, um, LA literature, you know, and the scene here. Um, are there, is there like gonna be a, a tour we could take? <laughs> I, I especially wanna go to the dumpling shop and, the, and, and eat that wonderful food, but if you have any recommendations for that or tacos. I'm oh open. my goodness, well uh, I'll give you a recommendation of where Lily has that date. Republique. Yeah, okay. Oh man, that restaurant. I, I actually, uh, my husband and I went there for dinner and we met the chef and, and mm-hmm. he was so cool. He was bringing us all these things. And, and, and I did that after I had written that scene. Uh-huh. And so it was so fun walking in the door going, I know this place. Yeah. And so that, that was really neat. And of course, uh, Lily's, um, her father uh, owns that Chinese restaurant, but you know, it's fictional. Yeah. Yeah. Most everything, um, there's a lot of fact and fiction that's just completely intertwined. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the book, I, I have a section um, that talks about you know which is fact and which yep. is fiction, and you can go here and you can go there. But you know when you live in a city for 35 plus years, and I've I've lived in a lot of parts of the city, mm-hmm. and I love this city. And one of the things that I love about it is how different all these little pockets. We have all these yeah. little communities and all these cultures. And I don't just mean ethnic cultures. I mean just community cultures. Yeah. It's, it's a fabulous city for literature. Yeah, and there's no end to the exploration or discovery. Oh my gosh, no. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't in your lifetime, one person, a could group of people could not. possibly. Well, I guess I should say where we are right now. Oh. We are in the Los Angeles Central Library. <laughs> we are in a cafe. If you've been to the cafe, there's a lot of space. <laughs> and sometimes it's a little bit noisy. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna power through that. <laughs> um, the the conflict that arises in the book that Lily gets swept up in sort of 
um, almost accidentally because she, her, her goal is to protect these women, but they are swept up in a, a corruption mm. uh, issue around real estate mm -hmm. and around development and around the metro in mm -hmm. particular. <laughs> um, but metro doesn't necessarily come off as a villain. No, isn't that interesting? No. I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. No, Lily is all about LA Metro, man. I mean, she's... She's writing it, oh, yeah. She is, you know. She just... The, the whole idea of having a car and how long it takes to find parking. I mean, come on. <laughs> how expensive it is to find, you know, yeah. once you get there. And, yeah. and really, so the difference in time... In, in, I mean, we're talking a difference of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, is negligible. Mm. And for somebody who is athletic as she is, she would yeah. much rather be out there biking, running, you know, getting on and off a train than she yeah. would be sitting on her butt in traffic. Yeah, yeah. And she is getting many different places, you know, far between. I mean, she I, really I is. have to say, like, reading about her biking around, I was a little bit exhausted. I'm <laughs> thinking about, oh, what if I did that, I would be recovering for like two days. Oh my God, know? she'd kill but me. But I guess she's in really good shape. She would totally kill me. Uh. Um, so I want to talk about um, how, how she, you know, her goal is to help women. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in the, at the very beginning, she is trying to help a woman get out of an abusive relationship, a woman and her son. Um, and you definitely captured the complexities of motivations, both for Lily and for, I think it's Ileana? Oh, Katerina? Katerina, mm -hmm. yes. And, and her son. Yes, Ilya. Ilya, Ilya. There, that's where you got um, it. I guess I, I'm wondering, like, is that going to be a theme to your writing going forward? Uh, domestic abuse? Or, or um, helping women escape from bad situations. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. that, that is her mission in life, is to be a big sister. Yeah. Uh, a big sister to other women in jeopardy in a way that she wishes she could have been for her own sister. Right. And in a way that she believes she should have been for her own sister. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was the reason she dropped out of college. This is the way, this is the reason she stopped competing in Wushu and went to her sensei teacher and said, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in and this is not a game anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what she's been doing for, for all of these years. So, yeah. yeah. And so that we'll will continue. We'll see her continue. Yes. And it's just astounding the kind of jeopardy that you can get in. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, so. I mean, in, in, in classic noir um, style, she faces a lot of very violent scenarios. In, in the first scene, it's not a spoiler because <laughs> it's like the first chapter, she is actually you know, tied up and being tortured for information about this conspiracy. Um, mm -hmm. And we see a progression of her throughout the book wondering whether she's taking her mission too far and whether mm. she's becoming like the thing that she sees in Tran, mm -hmm. um, sort of a, a brutal killer mm -hmm. who does it because he can, mm -hmm. not because there's a, a ethics behind it. Yeah, this is something that's really interesting to me. I love gray areas, um, much more interesting to me than black and white. Yeah. So here I have this, I have this woman, this ninja warrior protector, with a conscience and with doubt, yeah. a lot of self doubt, a lot of self questioning, and. That's something that I think everybody can relate to, possibly women more than men. Mm. Um, I, I think we're kind of attuned to it a little bit more. Of course, she is a modern-day woman and, as I mentioned, a coming-of-age woman. Yeah. There's a lot of self-questioning. 
a, a lot going on in there. And, and I think that makes her interesting because the violence that does happen um, to her, from her, around her, it is not without consequence. It is not without depth. It, it's not salacious. Yeah. Um, and, and it all has an impact in one way or another that will be felt and hmm. dealt with and will change you in some way. Yeah, and there will be consequences yeah, to it. Yeah, you know, change her, change the people around her, change me, the writer, hopefully change you as a reader. You know, little, little things that bring little questions that make us mm -hmm. think. So is this your first novel? This is my first published novel. That's fantastic. Okay. This is, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, this that's is my, a good distinction. Yes, yes <laughs> I, I have to say, writing is the new career for the second half century of my life. That's how I look at it. <laughs> you know, I started off as an actor, singer, dancer, Broadway, television, film. Then I was a martial artist. Yeah. I raised a couple kids and all this stuff. This is the one that got picked up. Yeah. So I'm really glad because it's the closest one to me mm. personally. And the thing that was especially neat was my, my parents both passed away, 91. They lived a long time. But my mother had Alzheimer's. So when I was finishing this up, she, she wasn't really reading at that time. Mm. But my father was able to read an early draft of this. Mm. And so that meant a lot to me because he was able to see how much his heritage yeah. meant to me that I would write a character. Yeah, Baba. Yeah, Baba. It, that feels like a love letter to, to that character. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting because that is not my father, but it yeah. is his heritage. Yeah. Tori, I want to thank you so much for coming on for the interview for the podcast. And um, the Ninja Daughter comes out in November. November 5th. Okay. November 5th. In fact, I've got a uh, book launch event at Book Soup. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I think we'll it's, see you uh, there. I think it's 6.30 or something. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> so. All right. Thank you, Tori. All right. Happy fall, Intersections listeners. It seems like every month there's a new literary festival with an incredible and extensive lineup that we at Bookswell want to help you successfully navigate. This month, that festival is Lambda Lit Fest. Lambda Literary nurtures and advocates for LGBTQ writers, elevating the impact of their words. This festival kicks off on Saturday, September 21st, and culminates on Friday, September 28th, with their main day of headliners, featuring Karen Tonkson, Tommy Pico, and a reading-slash-Q&A with Tegan and Sarah, and many more. There's already a waitlist for the main day lineup, which you can join on their website. But in the meantime, there are over 40 panels and events bringing together 1,500 readers and writers all over L.A. Up first, on Sunday, September 22nd at 4 p.m., Pan America presents Rewriting the Family at A Love the Bazaar in Atwater Village. This evening of curated readings will focus on queer diaspora and the impact of families of origin as well as chosen families, featuring alumni of the Penn Emerging Voices Fellowship. Next, our friends at Homocentric will be leaning into the theme of this year's Lit Fest, All the Feelings. Tuesday, September 24th at 7.30 p.m., experience love, hate, sadness, joy, indifference, and lust from an inclusive and multi-generational group of queer authors and performers. And finally, as Cody and Rochelle teased in our first segment of the episode, Bookswell is proud to present Intentional Intersectionality, Amplifying Queer Voices of Color, on Thursday, September 26th at 6.30 p.m. at the Armory Center for the Arts in Pasadena. Bookswell, along with poets and writers, will be hosting a reception at 6.30, followed by readings from five queer writers of color, 
and a dialogue with two community changemakers. As the name of the event and our podcast suggests, this evening is all about intersectionality and the challenges marginalized authors face in the traditional publishing landscape. We invite you to listen, engage, and hopefully forge meaningful connections with fellow readers and writers interested in actively supporting safe and inclusive spaces for underrepresented literary voices. There are so many amazing events going on as part of Lambda Lit Fest, and I strongly encourage you to check out their website, lambdalitfest.org, as well as bookswell.club, for more information on the festival and other exciting literary events in the coming weeks of September. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bookswell Club. Thanks for listening.